Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey with our mentors. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which can be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors can provide that roadmap for your journey. Each week, I will be interviewing those mentors, coaches who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. They have authored books and papers on tennis and continue to give back today. Who are these mentors you will hear each week? Every Thursday, well, you'll hear Alan Fox. Today is because it's the first Thursday of the month. Chuck Reese, Dr. John Murray, and Coach Scott Williams. And, of course, on those fifth Thursdays, when that does happen, well, stay tuned and you'll see who mentor who the mentor is that will be joining us on that day i'd like to thank the yellow ball network ceo jp weber for hosting our tennis network uh and if you are not following we coach tennis on facebook i suggest to you that you are missing out on a useful information uh some of the coaches are starting to realize now that uh in order to get the information out, we must share it. Uh, we just can't all travel around the world anymore, and uh, these Facebook pages are very, very useful. Uh, some of them, there's yes, I've heard the complaints that some of the stuff on there is not useful, but that's why the Almighty gave you a mind of your own. You're going to have to determine what you like and what you don't like. But, of course, the nice thing about our Block Talk Radio is that if you can't tune in live on Thursdays to hear our show, you can tune in anytime you want. Uh, this morning, for instance, I heard yesterday's uh, Coach uh, Chuck Reese's American Tennis broadcast, which he broadcasts each Wednesday. So, um, unfortunately, I'm tied up when his show comes on at times, but uh, with Blog Talk Radio, at my convenience, I can go in. And of course, with our show, because I really do believe in Dr. King when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday, I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally, you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our colleges and high schools. I 
lied to you uh, unintentionally. Uh, it was actually uh, shameful of me to dictate where I will be. I told everybody I would be doing this show from beautiful Charleston, uh, South Carolina, uh, going up there to join the woman with the WTA. I was hoping to do a story for Florida Tennis about uh, some of our Florida ladies there. Uh, but the Almighty decided that wasn't going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, my wife last week, Bobby, uh, was uh, under the weather. Uh, we thought she had an ear infection. Saturday, her face swelled up. Uh, she said, well, we could, uh, I could stay in the hotel room and rest while you're uh, at the uh, Volvo Open. But uh, Sunday morning when we got up, it was worse. Her eye was closed, and uh, we were at the emergency all morning. Uh, uh, It turns out uh, she has uh, shingles. Monday we were at the eye doctor, uh, uh, very fearful. That was also on her eyes, and you can't go blind there. Uh, She is on her way to recovery now. Uh, but I'm still in Florida. But I will say, uh, the, uh, naturally, I sent an email up to uh, the Volvo Open, the Volvo Car Open in uh, Charleston, and let them know. I, unfortunately, I was unable to make it, uh, and uh, you know, so somebody else didn't pick up my media credentials. But uh, I asked to uh, continue being notified, and I've been getting all the information. And uh, who knows, uh, maybe, uh, although I didn't get to talk to any of our Florida young ladies in the uh, tournament, uh, we might be able to still do a broadcast, was not a broadcast, an article in Florida Tennis uh, Magazine. We'll see uh, what our editor, Jim March, says What the information that they've given me and stuff I collected and when I put it together and how much uh, there is to uh, the stuff that he already has in there with the Miami Open and everything that has happened. Uh, I am told that the next issue of uh, Florida Tennis uh, is uh, he already has articles all lined up. So as April and May uh, has been, uh, I think, an outstanding uh, issue, and uh, of course, if you can't uh, get the uh, magazine, uh, if you're not receiving the magazine, or somebody has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, uh, you can always uh, go to uh, our site, the uh, FHSTCA, uh, dot org. And uh, right on our home page, where uh, you'll see uh, Alan Fox rotating, Chuck Reese and Wilson Sports, and Scott Williams and Dr. John Murray, and you'll also see Florida Tennis. When that rotate comes, all you have to do is click that on, and you will always be able to read the last issue uh, of Florida Tennis there. And, of course, you can also... Always get the last, uh, uh, well, all my articles uh, in uh, the resource page of uh, the uh, website. So I do 
and show for you today. Uh, the most difficult part of talking to the, today's guest uh, for me is that uh, he is just uh, he's, he's so well known by everybody. He's done so much, uh, and uh, you know we can go through all his credentials, which everybody knows at Pepperdine and All American and uh, UCLA and playing and all that stuff. But what do I call him? Do I call him Dr. Fox? Uh, Most of you that know me know that to me the most reverent word is uh, my own bias is coach. Uh, not uh, There's not many people I call coach, but uh, uh, those that I really respect I do call coach. Uh, to me it's a special term. It's something we should be uh, uh, proud of. Uh, but um, I guess I, uh, I'll be so bold as uh, just to say what most of us do, and that is Alan Fox. Alan, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Listen again. Attention. Alan, do I uh, do I offend you by uh, being so personal to call you Alan Fox? Should I be calling you Doctor Fox or Coach Fox? Well, uh, I'm terribly insulted. Don't call me. No, I'm kidding. What do I care? You can call me whatever you like. <laughs> Take your pick. I answered any of them. Uh, you answered so. any of them. Well, I appreciate that there. But, uh, you know, to me, you're just such a, a legend that we all love and respect so much. And I feel so blessed that uh, on the first Thursday of every month we get to talk with you and you share the information that you have and uh, I I know today we were scheduled and I and I'm not and I don't want to change it by no means because uh, our topic was going to be choking and uh, heaven knows that we all have uh, done it uh, the question is why but you made a remark uh, on the tennis channel, one of your coaching minutes uh, during the Miami Open. And at time, I'd like to uh, get to that remark because I uh, I think I struggle uh, with that and with some of the players. And uh, so uh, let's get right into the topic of choking and talking about, you know, we probably should start at the beginning, and uh, what is it exactly? Well, uh, choking is when you, when fear takes over, when when you, you want to produce, you you need the point. It may be an important situation, and there the player is fearful that they're not going to be able to come through with their best stuff, and so. A, a sort of paralysis sets in. Your muscles become stiff. You know, you lose coordination. You generally, you, your, your thought processes aren't good. You make mental mistakes. You make physical mistakes. You make a hash of it. Uh, and strangely enough, uh, you, you might ask, what is the fear of? Mightn't you? Or, or, uh, yes, or I did. How about that, asking me what's the fear of? Huh? Yes. Definitely, what is the fear of? 
Is it the fear of losing, the fear of me not doing what I was expected of me? Is it the fear of uh, where do I go from here if I do win this? It's, it's the fear of failure in one in one way or another. And, and interestingly enough, it, it, it is, it's, it's partly the failure itself. In other words, you, you, you don't perform, you lose the match. It's, it's partly that. And then it's partly... Uh, the, the responsibility, what what it shows about you, that that you don't have it, that you're not a winner type, maybe you're you're defective or deficient. It, it's all those fears. Uh, and the reason I, I mentioned where it comes from partly is because it tends to happen when the player's ahead. And so, when a player's ahead, you wouldn't think they would be. Uh, have so much fear of losing, right? You think it should be when they're behind. Uh, but oddly enough, it's it's always when they're winning. When the, the person, like when you're serving for 5-4 for the match, and it's your serve, that's, that's when all the players come around to see who's going to choke because that's the time people do it. And so... You say, well, it's fear of failure, but when you're ahead, why would you choke when you're ahead? And 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 that's somewhat hard to explain, actually. Uh, and and the I, best I can come up with is is just the fear that you've got the match, and yet maybe you can't finish it off. Like you can't make that jump between being close to winning and actually winning. There's there's somewhat of a a gap between those two, a bigger gap than you would think. And and that gap has to be jumped. And it takes a certain amount of just nerve to do it. Question is, do you have the nerve or are you defective? And that tends to make people nervous on the brink of winning. They get conservative. They get afraid to hit their shots. They get really cautious. I mean, you see it in other sports as well. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the time they choke. In golf, players have been up on the very last hole and and three putt, four putt, and end up losing a major championship just because they're ahead and they get tight. I I can't help but ask, and, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to say how much blame do I assume myself? I'm always wondering, you know, how do I become a better coach? But to get off, well, I don't think it's off topic, but you were talking about no feeling at the end of a point on uh, the tennis channel. I think it was during the Miami Open. And I think back in how many times did I make a mistake, going back to your last statement, uh, and especially in high school tennis, uh, uh, where you're able to coach in between points, and I would say to somebody, you have them down now. Don't let up. You've got to stay with them because, like <laughs> you said, this is when they play uh, so loose. They're, they've lost. They're, they're loose, and they're just playing. Well, they're, they're not they're loose. Their best. Do I, did I cause problems? Should I just kept my mouth shut? Well, I probably didn't make much difference. Uh, I mean, what I would – what I say to my guys in that when I was coaching Pepperdine, I would say things under those circumstances like just, just, it's just business. Just stick to your business. Just one point at a time. 
and keep your keep your mind on your knitting. You know, just stay after it. Uh, at that stage, what you don't want to do is you don't want to emphasize the overimportance of winning that game or that point. You want them to try to, as best they can, to just keep their mind very simply on what they're doing and, and, and not focus on outcome because it's the outcome that scares them. And so uh, you would say something, you know, just just business, stick to your business, keep doing what you're doing, you know, no different. And one of the reasons that I suggest to learn if you're going to seriously play uh, competitive tennis to learn to not have feeling at the end of a point of any kind because that that allows you to start from a neutral point in controlling your emotion and of course the problem of choking uh, is a, is an emotional problem and you're trying to get control of the emotion and not let it run away from you uh, so when you're reacting at the ends of points uh, your emotions tend to be less stable and they're more apt to do something that is counterproductive. Did I answer that question? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I did. No, I I, I see where you're going there. I, I, again, I, I'm making an assumption now uh, that it's probably the, the toughest part of the mental resiliency, I'll say, to develop. But, you know, when developing a tennis player, we try to – have the player become autonomous with the strokes and how to react in situations so they can't think because they can't think fast enough during the match. Uh, and that's a, that's probably the last process, as you know, that, you know, and that growth of the player that happens. Am I to assume that this is the last process that you get to in the mental uh, toughness part of the game is no feeling? Well, the game is one of the things that makes tennis uh, an interesting uh, but difficult sport is that it's inherently an emotional game. Uh, And so uh, people will get more emotional playing tennis when they seriously try to win. They will tend to get more emotional than they do in other sports. A lot of reasons for it. I mean, one of them is because the points in tennis – uh, have different value. The game point is a more important point than the deuce point. And the deuce point is more important than the 15-0 point because tennis is, is won or lost in lumps. You win a game. Okay, so no, anything that happened in the game doesn't really matter. You got the whole game. I mean, the other, it might have been close. You might have won it easily. It, it, you just get the game, one point. And if you win a set, you get the whole set. And it doesn't, the other person loses everything they did. And so there are, you know, quite important points. And that tends to make you emotional, nervous. Uh, when you lose a big point, people will get angry. They might not get angry losing a 15-all point, but if they lose set point, they, they, they will tend to get emotional about it. So these big points tend to make you emotional. Uh, and ultimately, tennis... The mentality of tennis is an antagonistic mentality inherently. It was you're, 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 you're trying to get the best of that person across the net from you. And it's a, a wrestling match. It's a fist fight without being able to contact the player physically. But 
you're using your your strength and your uh, intelligence, your physicality, your will, your concentration to get the best of that person. And it's very similar to a wrestling match or a boxing match. Uh, and and so there's the emotional aspect of losing. I mean, if you lose a fight, if you're fighting somebody, that feels very bad. You feel like you're slightly disgraced. And so tennis is bringing up the fight emotions. And so when you lose a tennis match, it feels like you've been diminished, like your opponent is now somehow above you. Uh, And and people don't like that feeling of, of going down on the hierarchy scale. I mean, everybody's measured against everybody. Very important emotional uh, wiring that we have. We all want to be, you know, important or ranked high relative to other people. And so it doesn't feel good. It's a struggle that if you lose, you feel diminished. And so tennis tends to be an emotional sport because of it. So really, uh, the sport itself dictates uh, a lot of how the individual handles uh, choking and everything. But I assume, am, am I right to assume that depending on the individual's personality, are we can is there such a thing as recognizing that this person is more vulnerable than somebody else t- to react uh, that yeah, way? Yeah, of course. Some people. I mean, uh, choke more than others. That's a fact of life. Whether that's genetic or whether it's early upbringing or what have you, I suppose it doesn't really matter. Yes, some people are more subject to choking than others. But uh, everybody, for instance, if they win uh, a few close matches, they become less and less likely to choke, even if they were cautious and choke prone to begin with uh, everybody that loses a number of close matches tends to choke more and and choking you you know is somewhat a function uh, obviously of confidence okay when you when you've gotten wins you get confident you just feel like you're going to win because you have been winning and and uh, if you win close matches and you win big to feel like you can win close matches and big points so you tend not to choke as much. Uh, choking, if, if you want a recipe for reducing choking, it would be, number one, you need to play a lot of matches so you get used to it. The more tournaments you play, the less likely you are to choke just because you get used to playing under pressure. Uh, number two, uh, if you're in a, a situation where you're not confident, uh, and you might choke, at that point you try to, to keep your mind away from the outcome as to whether you're going to win or lose the match. You don't have to worry about that. You keep telling yourself, just go after each point. You, you play each point individually, and you try to keep your mind off of whether you're going to win or lose the match or the game or anything else. Okay, just point at a time, and, and if you lose the point, you just let it go immediately, no emotional reaction, just right over your head, and then you get yourself ready for the next one. Uh, other techniques, you can smile, find something to laugh about, 
laughing and smiling are stress reducers. So uh, you would want to reduce your stress. Number three, you can somewhat reduce the stress if you realize that the tennis match is not all that important. Okay, it's not life or death to win one of these matches. It's mostly for fun, point one. If you're worried about ranking and what other people will think, you can keep in mind that other people really aren't very interested in you anyway. They're interested in themselves. And so your results are not as important to the world at large as you might think. So realize that because if you reduce the stress of it and you make it more fun and and a game, which is what it is, uh, your chances of choking go down. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Other ways to do it, and, and it is another way, and that is to get some adrenaline. You can slap yourself on the side and say, come on, try to hump up. And, and so you, you maybe get over the caution aspect of the choking. Uh, and finally, you, you would focus very narrowly on what you're doing. You don't look across the net at your opponent, and you don't look at as, uh, onlookers. You just watch the ball, and you, you try to keep your mind, you know, on, on staying loose and just focusing on your game plan and what you're going to do in the next few seconds. Maybe wait forward, watch the ball, and, and, and that's it, rather than score. Those would be the major helpful things. They don't all work, by the way. Right, and I would, which brings me to an interesting observation and a question. Would if somebody had developed this, would you change that? I, I'm thinking of somebody using a two hand at uh, uh, backhand and then using two hand at slice and two hand at drop shot, and uh, and watching the Bobo um, uh, open. And would I teach that? No. And I agree with the commentator that said, well, I would never, you know, do that. But would I change that with a person that's been playing at, the, who's been, like, this individual who's playing at that level so long, can you make a cognitive change at this level of the career? I suspect, and I would say no. Mentally now, if somebody is doing something and you don't, and it's something that somebody else has told them, this is what I want you to do, and it's uh, something they've been doing it over and over again, is that tough to change uh, at this stage of a career when they're playing at a professional level? Well, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the game is is played by habit. Uh, it, it, things happen too fast you know, to think your way through a shot or a stroke. So it happens by habit. So if you're going to change something, the way you change, the way you change a habit is in practice, consciously think about the new technique and force yourself to do it over and over again. Uh, the second you stop thinking about it consciously, the old habit, the strongest habit is going to come back. You know, if you're telling somebody to get the racket back sooner and they consciously think, okay, get the racket back soon, get the racket back soon, uh, as soon as they stop thinking about it and just relax, it'll go back to the way it was before. And so the, the 
essence of it would be the 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 stronger the habit, the more repetitions of the new habit you have to have uh, before that will be a stronger habit than the first one. So yeah, somebody that's been playing ever you know for twenty years or fifteen years and they've gone through a stroke one way for that amount of time. I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to go for months and and just think about it. Just think about what you're doing in order to change that habit, in order to get a new habit that's strong enough. It's easier when there isn't a habit that you have to overcome. Uh, but players have done it. Yeah, I... Although they, they learn new habits. Like, like Federer, he didn't really change much in the way of his backhand. Maybe he, he tweaked it a bit. But he just, I assume, for the six months he was off, he was just hitting a lot of backhand topspins, you know, just hit 10 million of them until you feel good about it. And he's feeling good about himself now. I mean, uh, just uh, I, I, I thought Miami was some of the most enjoyable uh, tennis to watch. And I thought anybody uh, that is coaching one of those people and they'll have somebody – like you in their corner. I mean, that's the one thing I always felt deficient as a coach is when it came to, am I addressing this right? Everybody, I think, thinks they know, uh, you know, personalities, and they we all know the basic things. We've all read your books and uh, what to do. Uh, well, if they haven't read your books, they sure uh, should. But, you know, that doesn't make me you. But to be able to have you in a corner, uh, how do you dare, at what point must you have somebody like you in a corner, do you think? Well, I don't think it's ever necessary. I think uh, when you say somebody like me, we're talking, are we talking a coach like me or a sports psychologist like me? Uh, I'm talking to sports psychologists. I think what should you pass, you know, to me, and, uh, you know, maybe I've said it too much. People are probably tired of me that after you've learned all the strokes and after you've learned you've got yourself in the right condition and after you have nutrition the way you're doing it, now you have to, and after you think you've learned the game, now you've got to learn yourself. And I don't feel, for instance, I would be capable of doing that. I'd, I'd want somebody like you as part of the team. Well, a, a sports psychologist can be helpful. Uh, a couple of thoughts on that overall. Number one, a good coach is essentially a sports psychologist. He just doesn't have credentials. But I'd say two-thirds of the coach's job is to work on his player's emotional system and mentality. Uh, and so a good coach can do that because they have the people skills to do it. Uh, the sports psychologist has one benefit, uh, and that is uh, a benefit of credibility. Like when, when the, uh, I could say the same thing that somebody's coach says, and they'll listen to me more because I'm a doctor of psychology. It's, it's no better information, but, the, the deal is that the player, when, when, when you're talking about uh, the mentality on the court, 
player essentially has to learn to control his emotion. And that takes a conscious effort. If you just let nature take its course, the emotions come flying out. And usually not for your benefit. So uh, the player has to consciously do certain things to control themselves, which is going against their impulse. So they have to be motivated to do it. And so if they go to a sports psychologist and say, I'm having this problem, you know, I tend to relax when I'm ahead or something like that, uh, the, the sports psychologist already has them somewhat motivated to listen. I mean, when, when, when they come to you, they're already saying, I've got a problem and I want to listen to somebody that could help. And so they're, they're, they're liable to do what I tell them to do or, or to try. If they hear it from a coach, it might go right past them. They might not be motivated uh, to get control of themselves. So there is an issue. The sports psychologist has got, you know, a benefit of credibility, which credibility makes the person more likely to listen to you and do what you say. So they may not know anymore. I mean, a lot of the stuff is sort of obvious. Do it anyway. Uh, maybe I just feel too uh, self-conscious about that. I guess I I think back at a young lady I came when I went to, to, to oh God so many years ago through the high performance coaching, and they said that I I get too personal and uh, express my emotions and everything. And came back and told her that uh, I've. Uh, do you? Does it bother you when you see me, you know, frown or something? You understand that it's not you, it's me. I'm wondering why. And uh, she says, a little. So me being as smart as I am, I decided I would always place myself where I'm hidden, where she can't see me. So Good <laughs> if I overreacted, she came to me one day and she said, you know, Coach, I'd rather have you there by myself. I know when I'm doing something wrong. And she says, even though I can't see you, I know you're frowning. So uh, I yeah. guess it's a continuous learning process. Well, I mean, you, you keep certain principles in mind. One of them is you don't want to put extra stress on a player. You know, most players are, are about as stressed as they'll tend to be overstressed rather than understressed. And so a coach, or a, worse still, a parent, uh, gesturing on the sidelines when a player misses something, that's very hurtful. That's very stressful and very counterproductive. I would say something about parents coaching, and that is the less the parent coaches, the usually the better off the kid. Well, I personally agree with you. I've, I've, uh, I have five uh, children. Uh, uh, four of them are very involved with sports. Uh, I have uh, two children that coach their children, but I never coach my own kids. I know some people do, and. Uh, do a great job of it. I just, um, I guess I was, I was just always a huggy type of person. Matter of fact, the hardest thing for me going into coaching high school uh, tennis uh, when I, I did 25 years ago was the environment as it is. You, you weren't allowed to hug or anybody, and 
You know, that was the hardest thing for me. So I never coach my own children, but I see things. I guess it's easier for me to make statements than other people, but I just – maybe I'm just well, usually, looking usually when, way out. When parents, usually when parents coach their kids, they don't quite realize that their words have much more impact than a, than a third party's words would, than a coach's would. There's more emotion in it. it it's more powerful. Uh, and so, I mean, I, a parent can make a kid, can drive a kid and make them into, but I don't know that it's overall a healthy thing to do. I mean, especially in Eastern Europe, you see a lot of the pros, uh, the pro women in particular, where they've had these dri- over-the-top driven parents uh, that are maybe even abusive. And they they can get a very motivated kid. Uh, I don't know that they're going to get a very stable, happy, well-balanced kid. They can get a motivated one. Uh, But for every motivated, for every kid that that ends up on the pro tour from an over-the-top parent, you'll have 50 of them that don't make it and have bad, uh, quit the game or have bad relations with their parents because of it usually not risky. True, true. Well, we know what choking is, and we know the effects on the game, and uh, some people choke more than others, and there's uh, when the fear of winning is part of it. What do, you, what do we do when we're right in the middle of playing? How do we play uh, when you're choking? If I recognize now I'm in a situation where I'm choking, what are the, some of the suggestions you would make that, uh, you know, I still have to play even though I'm choking. The match isn't over yet. What are some of the things I could do? Well, to repeat myself on that one, it is you keep your mind away from the outcome. Don't think about whether you're going to win or whether you're going to lose. Just keep telling yourself, watch the ball, keep yourself cool, Go after this point hard, and you'll focus on the little keys that help you. For instance, if you're returning serve, the keys I used to use were relax your hands, short backswing. I would actually talk to myself. Short backswing, wait forward, watch the ball. Okay, and just kind of repeat those little things to myself over and over as opposed to what the score is, as opposed to the fact that it's 30-40, service break and I need this I need this point if I did that I was more likely to choke secondly if you do choke thing wrong with you that you're demented uh, because you choke most people when they choke they overreact to it uh, just assume that you'll choke sometimes and you won't choke other times and so you just let choking go by emotionally like you let any mistake go by, like a missed forehand, you know, you don't, if you're well-disciplined, you don't get rattled about it. You just missed it. Too bad. You're sorry you did. No big deal. You make mistakes. If you choke, it's the same deal. I choked. No big deal. Maybe next time I won't. Just keep relaxing, deep breath, watch the ball, and think about what you're doing. You can choke. I mean, I've played matches where I choked two or three times, and then the next time I didn't choke. 
you, you never know when you're not going to choke. Just assume that that the choking is over. Uh, another thing, and that is when you choke, it'll tend to be when you're ahead. And what kills people is they'll be serving 5-4 for the set. They choke. They lose their serve. Now it's 5-all. And now they're discouraged because they choke, and then they lose a set 7-5. I mean, the trick, if you lose your serve at 5-4, is now go after the other person's serve at 5-all. Be very motivated because they're liable to choke. I call that the catch-up choke. You know, if you're really tough after you've choked and your opponent caught up, you still have the advantage. You have to keep that in mind. It's, it's certainly not over. You've got the edge. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. You can slap yourself on the side. Try to get some adrenaline. You can smile. You can try to laugh. You can take deep a deep breath or two and slow down. All of those you try. I mean, sometimes one of them works, and sometimes another one works. You never know which one's going to work. Very that true. That's a, if you don't try it, I guess we're not going to find out. I think sometimes uh, I try to remind myself and remind my players that, you know, gratitude is so important. You know, uh, I, sometimes I think as coaches we sometimes spend too much time talking about the things we have to improve on and uh, not just working on this is is a strength of yours. Let's keep working on that too. And I think if we sit there and get the player to buy into what we're saying, that you know you're playing good right now. Sometimes uh, I'm watching the uh, matches in South Carolina. I don't know if, uh, if you had a chance to see any of them, but there were so many close points where I thought the players, the ladies, were just about equal play, and points went, you know just uh, missing by an inch or something, and the match could have went either way. You, you have to sit there and feel good about your play. And I know that's hard to do when you're competing, but I, do, you, do you think there's certain matches? Uh, I think that's an advantage we have in today's game with the video and everything. There would be certain matches I would be showing parts of those matches over to again to the players. You played outstanding. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the other thing. The score didn't come out the way we expected it to or wanted it to. But I think in today, I think we have an opportunity to do better coaching just because of all the equipment out there. Do you agree or disagree? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I think videos could be helpful. I didn't use them, so I, I tend to not have a strong opinion if I if I really don't know much about it. So I think, the, uh, you know, if I had to think of the most, the most important thing the coach can do, if you had to pick out the number one trait of a coach, of a great coach, you know what that would be? Is it to pick what out one that? thing? Control. Yeah. In other words, the most important thing the coach can do is get control in some way or another over over his or her player. Because without control, coach somehow gets to the player. 
voluntary can get to people. You know, he's very uh, persuasive personality. Uh, coaches have different ways of doing it. But the great coach gets control of the player in some way so they can influence them. Because it doesn't really matter how much you know if you can't influence the player to do something about it. So if you had to think of a key to coaching, it's somehow you, you get to the player. So they well, I, I think that's a great book point. And I think in order to do that, you have to be you. Uh, and you have to do things. I know my son and I, everybody, the John Denise School of Tennis was really my son, not me. I always said I was the other John Denise. But I, my son would say, Dad, if you weren't so into your own ways, you know, you could have more business. Well, to me, it wasn't the business. It was grooming players to sit there and go. And then I, I knew there were some people that when people were buying into what I'm saying, I consider that excess, but I didn't get hurt to say there is no way I could work with this person. I mean, I remember Marty Fish uh, kind of saying uh, at times, Coach, surf is up. And, uh, you know, there is no possible way I could have ever at that next level coached uh, him just because we were two different people and uh, he is who he is, and I respected that and loved that and uh, about him. And I'm who I am, but I don't. I think sometimes, I, and you disagree with me, please, if I'm wrong. Uh, do you know? Do, do you believe we can coach everybody? I would say this. I would say some people are better sports psychologist coaches than others. I mean, the the really great one. Tell you who's really great is Dick Gould. Okay, Stanford, oh, and and he had a way. I mean, because of his extraordinary people skills, he had a way of figuring out how to get in into various kinds of people's heads. Okay, he some some one of them he might put an arm around, another one he might kick in the butt. Okay, he, he knew how to do it. It was a matter of you know extraordinary touch. Uh, with individual sports like tennis, you have a whole team. I mean, that's a tricky prospect uh, to, to handle everybody. Uh, with the big teams, with the major teams, I think that the really best coaches do it a couple of ways. You know, the number one strategy historically is, is fear. Uh uh, they're able to do it because the players know that the coach means business. And if the coach says something and they don't do it, then something bad's going to happen. That's kind of the simplest way to do it. I mean, it's, it's also handy to spend some other time with the, with the player and, and, and have a more personal relationship. But I think the, the crucial thing is I think the player has to know if you say something, it's going to happen. Well, I, I agree with you, and I, it's interesting because I just uh, commented on one of the sites today. I think there's a very uh, small difference uh, uh, be, you know, between fear and love. Uh, I think of uh, raising children, and uh, I think that at first, 
you know, a child does something because they know there's consequences if it's not going to be done. And then they do something because they know they're going to disappoint their parents, uh, one or two of them, because they're not doing something. Then they uh, will do it, won't do something because they sit there and know that it's the wrong thing to do. And it isn't only until after that that they come up there and then they start developing the habit of doing the right thing because they don't want to, because they respect mom and dad and they know this is the important thing. And I think sometimes well, with the good coaches, it's pretty similar. Uh, I always uh, used exactly to tell my wife. Yeah. Uh, it, it's exactly the same. Uh, you know, the, the they can, you can have love and fear at the same time, and that's probably healthy uh, for a child and a parent uh, to, have, to have some of both. In other words, the, the child has to know that, that if they go over a certain line, something bad's going to happen, okay, just like the player on a, on a team, okay, and you could call that respect or – but there's an element of, of – well, I shouldn't say that. I guess the fear can be a fear of just having them disappointed with you or a fear of having them angry with you. It, it, it might not be just exactly what you're going to be. You're going to hit them with a club or something. But, but I think it's healthy that there be some fear along with the love. Well, I agree. Coach, I think parents we've gone through a whole show already. Before uh, I go into doing some business, please, anything that you, next couple minutes, you have something you'd like to talk about to the audience? Or if not, would you tell them how to contact you? If they haven't read your book, uh, shame on them. But uh, how do they get there? How do they go to your site? Uh, anything you'd like to share for the next couple minutes? Um, well, I guess I could, I could do this self-promotion bit. I mean, I, I do have a number of books that I've written. Uh, the most recent one is called Tennis, Winning the Mental Match. And that's for sale at Amazon and uh, Tennis Warehouse and my website, uh, which is allenfoxtennis.net, A-L-L-E-N-F-O-X tennis all one word dot net by the way i have a number of articles on there various kinds uh, tennis and some not tennis which you might find interesting then two other books one book i've written on strategy uh, strokes and strategy but mostly strategy called uh, think to win and that's available uh, harper collins is the publisher and it's i think in bookstores or they'll order it uh, anyway, that's enough self-promotion. I'm I'm starting to bore myself here, but uh, <laughs> I do consult. By the way, you can go to my website, and uh, I do consulting by telephone or Skype, uh, and you can sign up for that on my website, and I will contact you by email, and we'll set up a time to talk. And of course, all right, John. Get out of your hair. Here. Of course, we can always find uh, the Alan Fox website when you go to our website. 
you will, when you see Alan Fox comes up, if you just hit his uh, name, and it'll take you directly to his site. Just like if you hit Chuck Reese's name, it'll take you to his site. If you hit Florida Tennis, it'll take you right to their site. So once you go to uh, www.fhstca.org, uh, our four mentors that are on our show uh, weekly, uh, all you have to do when their name rotates on the uh, home page, just hit it, and you'll go right into uh, their uh, website. Uh, the Lord willing, I uh, hopefully I'll still be uh, writing articles for Florida Tennis Magazine. Uh, I, I, we will. The uh, 25th anniversary magazine just came out, the April-May uh, Jim March had an interesting article about the Miami Open and uh, moving, uh, not moving, and going into uh, uh, where the uh, Miami Dolphins uh playing. Uh, Florida Tennis Magazine is not just about Florida news. There's been a lot of articles that we broke before they came in. If you remember a couple years ago, uh, I wrote in one of my pieces, I saw the future, and the future is now. And uh, that was about play site. And now uh, when you go to the new USTA training facility, you see them on all their courts. Uh, the days of uh, tennis pro coming out with a bucket of balls, and uh, I was a good player and uh, uh, tennis racket and looking good on the tennis court are gone. So uh, we try to provide you uh, that information. Uh, we will be, uh, uh, I don't know, we might have an article about the Volvo Open in there as it is. I, unfortunately, with my wife's illness, we weren't able to get to uh, Charleston, uh, but uh, we will get there uh, during the summer sometime because it is one of our favorite places and it is a, a wonderful tournament. And those of you that are coaching high schools, please, if you have the opportunity to take your players to any of these tournaments, it's such a great place for them to sit there and go and watch tennis. And sometimes I think like Dr. Fox said uh, before, being having that PhD next to their, their name it gives more to what they're saying than having John Denise saying it to somebody. Having with somebody watching somebody do something that you're talking to your player about, and they're saying, "Well, I don't know if this old guy knows what he's talking about." And gee, they seem to be doing that pretty good. Everybody learns in different ways, and sometimes you have to see it. Uh, I was sorry to hear that there isn't going to be an FHSTCA All-Star this tournament this year. Uh, I just found that out a week ago uh, when the FACA uh, asked me to take over the training again this year, one more year, just so I uh, they could get everything going. But I think we have to work on that All-Star tournament. We have to send these kids off to college in the right way, and uh, uh, evidently I just can't get out of uh, high school uh, tennis right now. Uh, and I do believe that uh, college and 
and tennis, uh, high school tennis, uh, is important for it to grow. I hope what the ITF is doing is going to be a good thing. I do have reservations. I have reservations about the no-ad scoring. Uh, if you listen closely to what uh, Dr. Fox was talking about, uh, the lessons learned through playing the points, how some points are worth more than other points because of the situation. And now we go into no-ad scoring. I don't know how healthy that is. I have a problem with college tennis. Uh, sitting there, uh, and when the match is done, we stop playing. Uh, our, uh, it's hard to tell people not to chase points, but to sit there and develop your game when the system is saying, well, we don't have to play no more, we have a winner and loser. Uh, I think that college tennis is hurting themselves about that. Uh, Alan, if you're still there, if you deserve do you have thoughts on that you'd like to interject in the next minute? Uh, I don't. Actually, I'm not quite here. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to be. With apologies, John. So I was doing okay, something Well, I just, uh, I'm just uh, concerned when I hear uh, Mr. Haggerty say that we only have 750 people capable of playing um, on the Pro Tour. Hopefully I understand we might have too many pro tours in other places. I don't think in North America, but uh, I just don't know if, how much more we could uh, lose out in North America. At one time, all the great players uh, came through college tennis, uh, and at this time now we're having coaches tell their better players not to play college tennis. Uh, at some point, uh, what I fear of is a college is going to turn around and say, well, why should I have a, a college tennis team? I'll just bring the USTA recreational play in, and those that want to play recreational can go play, and we'll have tournaments they could go to, And uh, but we won't have college tennis. And I think that would be a mistake. Uh, so I think we have to start listening to everybody. Uh, I think tennis is important for a few people to uh, make uh, those decisions. Uh, I'd like to see Wilson Sports, what they've done in the last 100 years. I'd like to see them continue. Uh, I know they've been a great uh, supporter of us. And Team Connection, our all-star teams and our coaches always looked outstanding uh, because Team Connection was such a great clothier for us. And I thank you for uh, supporting them. Uh, team Connection re reminds you uh, how important that tennis is. And I think I have to thank District 15 and JTL uh, the tenant on their programs, 20 years of programming, and my uh, wife's organization, uh, all important. Next week we have Coach Chuck Greasy on uh, talking about American tennis and uh, where we're going. And I thank all of you for listening. I ask you please tell your friends and join us again next week. Have a blessed week, and we will talk with you again next week. Bye now.